What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland, for innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. With your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I've been the penny. I will buy the stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Wednesday edition of Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. Spencer Israel here with Joel L. Conyan and Dennis Dick. Well, it's going to be an earnings show today between Netflix, Snapchat, uh, Delta Airlines, Chipotle, AT&T, Kimberly-Clark, Interactive Brokers, NASDAQ, Biogen, a lot. That's just a few. A lot on the earnings front today. So that'll be the theme of the show. We'll talk about BNTX as well. They're getting a huge pop thanks to uh, positive development for their COVID vaccine that they're doing with Pfizer. Uh, our guest today is David Trainer. He's the founder and CEO of New Constructs. He would join us at 835 to tell us what to look for deep, deep, deep inside of these earnings reports this quarter and which reports he is most looking forward to for beats or misses. Joel, what's the word here in the overnight session? We're green. We're green by 32 handles. Uh, if you were up last night and you were so inclined to uh, buy yesterday's low at 27.17 and a quarter, uh, that was a little bit after midnight, I believe. Uh, oh, it was before midnight, around 11 o'clock, 10, 11 o'clock. You got a good buy off because we rallied 60 handles off that. 27.77 is your pre-market high. That's not a bad level either because uh, your intraday high yesterday from yesterday was 77, well, I can't talk today, 77.50. So good levels on the top and the bottom, but we're just in the middle of nowhere here. Uh, gold up $26.70 at 17.14.50. Silver dancing above and below 15, up 11.9 cents at 14.99. And you have Bitcoin still around 7000 up $95 at $6,985 and only a $170 range. So uh, quiet range here. We haven't really been talking much Bitcoin, uh, but Triple D, did you get down and dirty in Netflix? Mm, I tried to trade it a couple times. You know what? It was so choppy. I got chopped up twice in it. So I was like, no, I'm done. So I was just trading and, you know, you're looking and it, when, when you watch something for so long, you can't help but trade it. So I was jumping in, not big size, just kind of jumping in and getting a feeler. And I thought, okay, here we go. And then you're all the wrong direction. They're trying to minimize the damage. And then I tried it again, wrong direction, try to minimize the damage. Like, no, I even said to my buddy at Bright, I was like, I got to stop trading Netflix. I just took it off my screen because uh, sometimes you're in the zone and sometimes I can trade that kind of stuff. And then other times, that kind of stuff is uh, tricky to trade, and it was a lot of chop, Joel. I mean, we went all the way up right on the initial number. I believe, what did we get to, 480? 485.95. And then we started leaking, and then we chopped around a bit, and then we really started leaking, and then we were red. And then we started to come back up to green, so <laughs> it was a chop fest. And you know what? 
I got chopped up in it too. I think I ended up losing about two and a half points overall, so not too bad. Uh, but uh, definitely wasn't trading it well. Spence, you want to go with the report? I'm probably the only person. Sure. I'm probably the only person that lost money in it too trading it. Everyone on Twitter made money. Everyone on Twitter Twitter made money for sure. You know that. They all make money on everything. Twitter never all loses. Right. The Netflix numbers, the uh, EPS, they are. It is what it is. A buck fifty-seven versus a buck sixty-five estimate. Uh, so a miss, but I'm not putting a lot of weight in that. Sales five point seven seven versus five point seven six billion dollars. So you know the numbers are what they are. The big headline was their new subscribers added. They added a fifteen point seven seven million subscribers around the globe. That is twice what the street was expecting, and it was split up pretty evenly across the board of 2.3 million new subs in the U.S., uh, 3.6 in Latin America, uh, 3.6 in Asia Pacific. So it was pretty uh, evenly split. Their new subscribers were around all the major markets. Uh, and they did guide. Uh, they gave a couple forward-looking statements. They see their uh, Q2 global streaming subscribers at 190 million that would be uh, up 25% on a year-over-year basis. Uh, and they did also guide uh, their Q2 EPS at a buck 81 versus a buck 54 estimate. So some guidance from Netflix, but it was a, uh, if you, if you uh, listen to the call or, or, or watch the coverage, it was a pretty uncertain report. Yeah, like when they were talking too, um, you think hey, these were awesome numbers. So you automatically think that, well, you know, they're going to be saying a lot of good things on the call. And then really it was, um, they were talking about, you know, uh, um, the subscribers and saying they don't know what's going to happen once we reopen. If, you know, a lot of these subscribers are just, it's just a temporary increase. So um, with all that being said, you know, I was actually surprised the stock really didn't start tanking when they initially started talking like that. It held up for a bet and then eventually started to come back down. So they were, you know, they, there was a great report. There's no doubt about it, but they were very concerned that this might not last. You know, it's it's kind of how I was reading it, um, or, or at least, you know, reading the highlights as they were getting yeah. published there in the pro. And, and that's exactly what Gene Munster said. He said the one word to describe this report is temporary. And yeah. I, would even, I would even say the same thing for Snapchat, too. Snapchat, great quarter, temporary. We don't know how this will impact. And Netflix even said, we think this could... Uh, uh, lower our growth in the coming months. It, it just it just fed the growth rate up a little bit. But uh, you know, great quarter, great subscriber growth. We knew yes. they would blow it away. Uh, thank you very much, Tiger King. But uh, yeah, long term, I don't know how sustainable these these numbers are. Um, I mean, it's tough when you have that kind of trading action. I think I can uh, comfortably say that the uh, pre market high oh, yeah. will hold. Oh yeah my hold for a couple years uh coming back on the downside the pre-market low was 416.82 um i'd like to see if it can get unchanged on the session uh yesterday's closing price is 437.49 i'll look at that as resistance if it somehow manages to get through there then there's a pair of highs of 445 but um i don't know i mean it's it it's probably a short. I just don't know where. You know what I mean? Do you want to sell it down nine bucks? You can. I don't know. I think this thing just has so much air underneath it that just looking at the daily chart, 
I could see this saying if it came back like to 380, it would even be a 50% retracement of the rally up. So uh, that's my take. Uh, that's my take on Netflix. The one concern, and this was yesterday, and I can move into my Shopify trade, but the one concern was all of this money that was hiding out in these COVID plays really came off yesterday morning. At uh, one time we saw, look at the red candle in Amazon just got slammed. It opened at the highs, they hit it down, and then it hung out for a little bit, and then they slammed it down another 100 points. Netflix was the same story. They opened it, then they hit it down, and it held up better probably because it was due to report. So it held up better than the other ones. But then there was Shopify. And Shopify, same story. We talked about Shopify on the show yesterday. I said I had sold my Shopify in my long-term account um, the day before. I sold around 620 equivalent. So I just thought it was overdone. It got just silly again, just continued to go higher. Um, I, had a, I had one of my best trades in a long time on Shopify yesterday. What I saw was Amazon opening at the high, tanking. Roku opening at the high, tanking. Netflix opening at the high, not as tanking as much because, like I said, I said the earnings, but they got yeah. hit too. It came down significantly. And then Shopify opened up and ran up a bit. And I'm like, are they going to just buy Shopify when Amazon and, you know, this has been on the hiding place and all these stocks have been moving together. Um, so I tried to short and I went short at 659, uh, which, and I, what I did was because we had a couple top 663 just on the day trading chart. And I'm like, if we make a new high, I'm going to stop myself out. I put my stop up at 666 and um, you know, that's always the magical number to 666. Put my stop at 666 and I walked away from my screen. And it started coming down, and I couldn't help. I kept checking it on my phone. I, I couldn't help. It went down to 6.4. And then I called you when it was 6.40, and I was like, this thing could just collapse from here. And you even said, this could get an ugly red candle. So I'm like, well, where do I cover? Where do I cover this short? I shorted at 6.59. And you're like 5.85, um, which would have been the previous day's low. And I'm like, that sounds pretty good to me. Well, you know, I'm watching and watching. I couldn't help myself. Went down to 600 bucks, and I was like, okay, I'm covering half. So I covered half just, uh, just around, just above $600. And then I held the other part of it. And actually, you're not going to believe where I covered the other half, Joel. Uh, yes. Let me see here. Is it, you know, it's, it's, a, it's luck. Don't just tell yes, me. Luck. Don't tell me 556.01. Like 560. So no I literally, on the bulk of the, uh, on over, about half of the trade, I, I covered half, obviously, too soon. I basically shorted the high and bought the low on Shopify. If I, if I tell you to buy 584, why I do you buy 600? I just put my order at 584. Listen to Joel. I, should, why, I actually would have That makes no sense to me, Dennis. I tell you to buy 584 <laughs> and you buy 600. What the hell are you doing? I bought half. I held half just for you. I would have covered the whole thing, but I knew you'd yell at me. <laughs> okay, but you know what I will say? Your average came out right around five. Right around five eighty-five. Yeah. yeah, I average yeah. actually. I think at the end of it, it was uh, sixty-seven points or something. I averaged on it. That's crazy. So, and you're talking six hundred. So I, I made ten percent on that swing trade, and I was in the trade for about an hour. So like, I'm again, like, walk away, walk away, and then I get a text. 620, 630. <laughs> I know, it just kept going down. I was like, I want to cover. I want to cover so bad. <laughs> yeah. I don't but, know if you... Okay, so why did I put this trade on, you know, so everybody can learn from it? Because I recognize that there is a relationship, at least for now, between Roku, Amazon, Netflix, Shopify. And I see three of the four tanking. I'm like, I think Shopify follows suit. It wasn't on the chart. I'm look not looking for any of those reasons. I'm simply looking that 
three of those major four stocks have all kind of been just flying up together because we're never leaving our home ever again, um, started to show a lot of weakness. And Shopify lagged. And it lagged for about 20 minutes. And then eventually it caught up too. So identifying those relationships. And we know I am a relationship trader. That is what I am. I'm not a technical trader. I use charts. But, you know, maybe to find where my out is, like Joel was saying, or I call my technical analyst, where do I cover? But I enter <laughs> trades based on relationships. And I recognize that there is a relationship between Amazon and Shopify. It's been inversely correlated for a while with the overall market. Yesterday, that correlation broke down significantly, obviously, because the markets um, all, you know, we saw a lot of those hiding spots for the COVID plays tanking as the market was tanking as well. So that tells me, I believe Amazon put the top in now, at least the short-term top. I believe Shopify probably has put a short-term top. So I'd be more of a seller of bounces on these stocks now. Still love Shopify. Talked with Nick. I'm going to put my order down at the 50% retracement to try to get my shares back that I sold at the, at the 620 because I obviously had it long too, um, you know, for, for in my longer-term account. So 350 up to 650. That's a 300 point move. Let's knock 150 points off there. We'll say 500 bucks. Comes back to 500. I may rebuy my Shopify that I sold in my longer term account. Okay. But Good. at this time, if you're buying those stocks now, I believe you're on the wrong side of the trade. I believe yesterday was the candle, the reverse reversal candle. So I'm not a technical analyst, but the relationship broke down yesterday. And I, often when you see short term relationships break down, they stay broken down. And the, that relationship being market goes down, we got a pile in Amazon, we got a pile in Netflix, we got a pile in Shopify, we got a pile in Roku. That broke down yesterday. So I believe that relationship is now broken. Even this morning with the market up, Amazon is trading up. Even this morning with the market up, while well, Roku is still trading down. Some people are spooked on that. But Shopify trading up. I think the Shopify bounce this morning is a sell. Just my opinion. Uh, but what about still, like today? Like, would you, you know, it's up 17 and a quarter. Yeah, would you... I reinitiate a short? Maybe. I mean, where is my out now, though? Like, it's, you know, I'd have to look at where it opens and, you know, where the, the trading is because I don't want to, you know, you've got a huge candle here. I mean, to figure out where your out is now is a little bit tricky. I mean, you could go to that high of the of the move yesterday. On the, on no, the, no, on the I can give you. I mean, if you, if you want to, if you want to sharpen uh, your scalpel here, uh, what was the high yesterday? Six sixty-five, seventy-four. We'll just keep it real. I, because I actually, after you covered and it bounced, I was thinking of uh, trying to get it shorted, and um, I was looking for. I believe it was six ten. Let's see what we got here. Yeah, I was looking for six ten, and it never got there. That's half of the rebound. So if it gets up to six ten, I'll see how it reacts there. I mean, you are, you know, you are getting a nice lead on it here, being up eighteen bucks. I think you know some of it has to do with how the market holds up too. But oh uh, yeah, and obviously this had been moving inversely correlated with the market for a while. But like I said, I believe that relationship kind of broke down there yesterday. So how about relation, there's money to be made in relationships. And, um, and I think there's too few of traders that use them. I mean, bright trading is all based on stat arb and relationships. And a lot of our traders are amazingly consistent. And the reason for that is, you know, like I always say, you can use charts and charts help. But there's 6 million people looking at charts out there. If you really think it's a huge edge, you, you look at the chart different than the other 6 million people. I mean... If you're making money on charts, keep doing it by all means. But I think it's only one tool in your toolbox. I've never 
in my 20 year career, just been able to look at a chart and say, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to make money from this. I've always made money on relationships. That's how I'm different. So if you're doing well, continue to do well, continue to, to, to use charts. If you made money for your last 10 years trading, just using charts, by all means, continue to do it. But if you're just first starting out in trading and you're trying to use this chart and you're reading all these technical analysis books and you can't figure it out, you know what? I read a lot of technical analysis books back in 1999, 2000, and I never figured it out either. So that's why I moved on to relationships and I found something that worked for me. So find something that works for you. All right, Joel, you want to move on to Snapchat? Sure. Is that what you want to do? All right, Snap reported after the close yesterday, adjusted EPS, they lost $0.08, cents, missed by a penny on the estimate. Sales of 462 for 431 in million dollars. Uh, they also reported daily active users up 20% on a year-over-year -year basis. Uh, so it's just like uh, Netflix, a massive temporary, we think, uh, spike in uh, time spent on the app and time spent watching uh, content on the Discover tab and on DAUs, but they're still losing money. This is a super interesting chart. You Talk bumped up to what your pre-market high is fifteen twenty, but you're not leaking. I mean, you're just hanging in there. Is there an iceberg around there or something at 1480, 1485, Dennis? There's a, there's a few people holding it up. Yeah, uh, they're holding this up maybe to whack it after the open. I don't know. But uh, I think the setup here, holding 1480, I wouldn't be long this stock with my worst enemy's money. Huh. That's, what I'm, that's what I'm looking at. You're telling me you're not a fan of this one? If it doesn't hold 1480. I'm just looking at this. I know you. I'm based on no relationship. Just looking at years and years of pre-market charts. This is telling you that if this thing's going to rip to 17 bucks today, it's going to hold this area and go. But I, I would not want to. I mean, there's a long way to go in this thing if you, uh, if you don't hold 1480. I'm not buying any stock trading up 20, percent and yeah. that's just my style. I don't chase. I don't no say, way. oh, the stock that's going up 20 percent is going up 30 percent. Folks, we are not in, in where we were two years ago, where the stock that was up 20% goes up 30%. I was trading like that two years ago. I wasn't afraid to buy a stock up 10% because I thought it was going up 20%. That bull market is long gone right now. Now it is the fade trade. It has been the fade trade. We've been talking about this way before COVID. Even the year 2019 was more of a fade trade. There was a lot of moves. Yes, we had the ridiculous rally at the end of the year, but there was a lot of chop in 2019. And if you were fading, you were making money, you know, by looking, you know, when the stocks are ripping up 20%, you're selling them. When they're falling 20%, you're buying them. And that has continued to work even with COVID. We've been talking about this. So when you're coming in, you're buying stocks that are trading up significantly, saying the 20% stock up goes up 30%. Sometimes they do, but a lot of times in this market, they don't. So I'm not chasing Snap here for those reasons. I don't know where it's going. I probably won't trade it because it's, it's, it's a difficult one to trade. I don't often trade the leaders too. And, you know, somebody was just asking me about relationships. So on Snap, when Snap takes off, what am I looking, you know, on the headline? Snap's ripping. I'm not looking to buy Snap. I'm looking, I'm going to buy some Twitter. I'm going to buy some Facebook. Um, because these stocks have a relationship with Snap. So if you look this morning, Twitter trading up 4%. Why is Twitter up 4%? Because Snap is up 20%. Why is Facebook up 3.5%? Bigger company, not going to move as much, not going to be as volatile as Twitter, but it's up 3.5% because Snap is up 20%. There is no other reason. 
So Pinterest knowing too, Dennis. What's that? Pinterest too. P-I-N-S. And Pinterest, great one. Great one, Spencer. P-I-N-S, same thing. Those move with Snap. So identifying those relationships can make you money, sometimes on the headline, sometimes not. Sometimes there's a, a, a quick reversal. And believe me, there is a lag. There is not all, every algo that's just programmed to just trade those relationships. There's some that are very sophisticated and will trade those relationships. Don't kid yourself. You'll be battling algos. But if you're battling the algo and you, you keep getting beat to the trade, you at least know you're on the right side of the trade. If you're battling the algo and you're getting filled easily on your orders, you're probably on the wrong side of the trade. So um, just knowing those relationships, again, can make you money. And sometimes you get them, sometimes you don't. But I love my relationships. Uh, that that pre-market high at 1520 uh, coincides with the 1528 high from February 27th, and then it uh, it really opens up on that. But uh, I think I think the pre-market chart here is giving you a pretty good look of how the session should go. Let's keep going on the earnings parade here. It's kind of fun to not talk. I know, about I know. I said that to Spencer. Not talk about oil for one day. Well, we although will. we're probably going to talk about oil. Well, we'll talk about that eventually it's coming you as oh let's look at delta airlines here dal so um yeah we knew it'd be bad it was bad they actually beat the estimate on the eps they lost 51 cents a share last quarter they were supposed to or projected to lose 70 cents their sales came in lower at 8.59 versus 8.92 billion dollars this is just mind-blowing to me if you look at an earnings calendar of delta going back a few years so a year ago in the uh q1 2019 quarter so a year ago they made 96 cents per share Last quarter, they lost $0.51 cents per share. It is just mind-blowing stuff. And the stock lifting, because I, I don't know how they were possibly going to you know, come in and, and obviously disappoint when their expectations were not just low. They were like in the ground. And yeah, we, talk, we talked about that. So yeah. I, I actually thought Delta, and I actually bought it on the headline when it went down, when it dipped. It dipped on the initial headline to twenty two eighty five. I bought it in the 2290s. I was like, okay, this is probably just going to rip right back up. And I've sold it already, so I can freely talk about it. It, it ripped up to over, or it ripped up to 24 dollars. I sold a little bit soon. I was in out of around 23 and a half, I think. And but you know, just for a quick bounce because I was like, they're going to rally this no matter what. I think. Now again, am I saying I'm putting Delta my long-term portfolio? No. And look what UAL is doing. UAL is doing an offering. All these companies need money. So last night gets announced UAL doing a secondary offering, I believe 37 million shares, not a huge dilution, but will be dilutive. That's why UAL is trading down here in the pre-market. Initial pricing, I don't know if they've come out with it yet, but they were talking about 26 bucks. So um, I, I don't know, maybe more of these airlines are going to have to do an offering. It's, it's very difficult. And I, I don't have any confirmation on the UAL $26. That was just, a still just talk. It was talk last night in the lower 26s. I don't think they've come out with the actual pricing on it yet. Yes, uh, they but, have. $26.50. Oh, $26.50. Oh, so they did. Okay, great. Because as of last night, I didn't check the UAL news. So as of last night, they were still just talking 26 oh, Not too bad. Twenty-six fifty. They didn't have to go down too far to get that done. With that being said, maybe these other airlines are going to have to do similar stuff. They're still burning cash like crazy. Like you're talking on this Delta report, and you can say, okay, yeah, they beat the expectations, which were in the gutter. But, you know, really, when you look at this, you know, they're losing, you know, 51 cents, which are expected to lose 70 cents, but the revenue is going down. We know the guy is going to be terrible. We know this last quarter had two good months in it. So wait, wait till this next quarter, because this didn't start really till the last three weeks of March. So yep. you really had like – right. 
a good two thirds of the quarter was pretty much normal. Like, I mean, I flew in late February. So, and I've been talking about this stuff for, <laughs> yeah. you know, forever, you know, being concerned about, I was kind of nervous on that plane. I'm not going to lie to you, but you know, if I was flying, everybody was flying. So now it's a completely different story. And we know Delta is burning a lot of cash. How they get out of this mess is if everybody reopens, everybody goes about their business. Um, you know, and that can happen. Obviously, we get a vaccine. We've talked about that. That's going to help. We get a, 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 something that works, a cure. That's going to help too. But even if the economy reopens, so you might be coming and saying, why buy these airlines? Because George is opening. Texas is opening. Tennessee is opening. Everybody's going back to their business. We're going back to normal, normal life as it is. I don't think life is going back to completely normal, even if they start reopening the economy, because you have people like me that are like, I'm not going on a plane for a while. Not until I know I'm not going to get sick. Am you know I what go I think out here? a little bit, go out to the park? Maybe. Yeah. But there's certain things, certain activities that there's going to be a percentage of the population that is still scared to do. You're actually going to leave your property? I Maybe mean, Dennis, first you have to get out, you leave your driveway. Okay. I never left my driveway before this started, Joel. <laughs> I never left my property before this thing started. I was the most prepared for this out of everyone. I trade from home. I don't leave the – me and the, the neighbor here um, used to have a competition who could stay in their home the longest. He, he beat the hell out of me. It was like 17 days or something. This was a few years ago. But, I mean, it's uh, – Yeah, but he's, he's 75 years old, Dennis. <laughs> Actually, he's not. So. Uh, you know what? Let's just, I just want to make one final comment here on the airlines, and it's not going to be like a day or a week. Some institutions, are, there's some big buyers here. I, I don't know who it is. Yeah, it's not Warren because he, uh, he dumped some at 20. But this just looks like an institutional accumulation formation. And they're just being patient. And they're just buying stock because they know it's going back up. I don't know when. But that's the only thing I could see because there's bad news. The earnings aren't great. It's hitting it. But, you know, it still finds buyers. So, you know, maybe – four or five institutions want to own this between 20 and 24 they're, and they're, and they're accumulating a position that's you know, or some large shorts are covering, you know, someone that's really, you know, confident and you know, what's going on. And, and then, you know, we'll look back in eight months and Delta's at like 37 and we'll say, Oh, you remember when Joel said the institutions were buying at 22, 23. And I'm like, well, we didn't buy there. So are you buying, are you buying, <laughs> are you coming said, in? And buying Delta here because I don't have the guts to do it. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I look at it and think, well, why, you know, when the market has rallied as much as it has, are these stocks still all in the gutter? You know why? Because they're still burning a lot of cash and there's probably more dilution heading their way. Warren, everybody's waiting for Warren because he sold some Delta and he sold uh, some. Which other one did Warren sell? There was two airlines that night. Love? Was it Love he sold some? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Southwest. Love and Delta. He sold some. Not a huge chunk, but people were speculating, oh, he's just trying to get under 10% so he can do a huge yeah. deal, you know, and, and, and the whole market won't know about it. That could still be happening, but I don't think that's the case. I think Warren's is lightening up because Warren's Yeah, you know, that's this, another thing, like, too, um, when you talk about what makes this different from the financial crisis. Uh, you know, Warren hasn't stepped in. Right. He stepped in at uh, Goldman Sachs. He stepped in the GE. Um, Charlie. He's bought anything. No, I know. He sold. And did that, you we, s- that we know of. That we know of yet. Yeah. 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 Did Ooh, you. We'll uh, and you see Charlie Munger's comments. 
he's like, we're going to lose some companies. We are going to a recession. I mean, that he, he flat out. Uh, yeah. You know, and yeah. when he's saying stuff like that, it's not like, um, you know, that's coming from a discussion with Warren. He's not just coming up with all this stuff himself. Obviously, you know, this Charlie Munger is very smart, you know, same thing. But I, I believe, you know, there's still obviously Warren Buffett and they're having conversations here. And if Charlie's bearish, Warren's probably not bullish. So I think Warren was just light, lightening up too. I think that's the way, um, you know, he read, Warren is a fundamental analyst at heart, like fundies, fundies, fundies. And you look at the fundies on these airlines and you're like, ouch. Do you, do you know why Charlie's so smart? Why? He went to Michigan undergrad. Ah, there you go. And Harvard Law School. Go blue. Harvard no, was, it, it, it wasn't Harvard, Harvard, was my, Harvard was my backup school for undergrad. Right. right. Uh, real quick, if I could bring it back to the airlines for just a second. Yeah. Did, you, did, you guys, did you see what uh, Google Wireless said yesterday? Uh, they said that this is the Wi-Fi providers on planes. They said their passenger traffic on uh, commercial oh. airlines in, uh, in April Zero. was down 95% on a year-over-year basis. I mean, this Why? stock's right at the epicenter too. So it was, yeah. where, where was it when it started? I'm bringing up the GeoGeo chart. So we were actually leaking way early in February. I guess people were really anticipating on GoGo. It's a buck 55. It hasn't rallied at all. It had the little rally in March and gave it all right back. That was just a gift. I mean, this is a company, you know, that potentially, you know, is going to get hit really hard from this. And I think you know what I mean by that. What was the trend before this in this issue? Exactly. I mean, it's internet on planes. So this was this was a stock that had struggled for a long time. I mean, you look at the monthly back in 2014, this was $35 when everybody thought that internet's on planes was just the best idea ever. <laughs> and now it we is, realize, well, internet on planes is cool. I think and, there's competition. Oh, for sure there is. For sure there's competition. I can get internet sometimes when you're on your plane from your own provider. It bounces around the towers, but the, when you're flying, you can get internet without actually going on the go-go. Sometimes, can't you? I do sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Did you lose Dennis there? No. I'm still here. What happened? Joel, did we lose you? I think we lost Joel. All right. Well, we lost Joel. But in the meantime. The go go uh, people cut him off. Yeah, exactly. Talking too bearish. Can't, can't Conspiracy hit on the, the, the internet providers here because they will find you. Uh, let's do uh, ATT here. Speaking of internet providers. Sure. Uh, so ATT had earnings this morning. Uh, let me just turn Joel's frozen camera off there. So when he comes back, he will join us. Uh, all right. Anyway, moving on. AT&T uh, reporting this morning, uh, Q1 adjusted EPS, 89 cents versus an 85 cent estimate. Sales, 42.7 versus $44.2 billion. So an EPS beat sales miss for AT&T. Pretty diverse business. Obviously, they're seeing a lot of increase in traffic on their uh, internet side of business, but the media side is struggling hard here. So it's it's kind of a, a hit or miss, hit and miss report for AT and T. I'm so torn on AT and T. Part of me wants yeah. to buy the stock. It's got a 6.86 percent dividend. I think the dividend is safe, but it's still a question mark. Um, a lot of businesses, obviously, that aren't doing as well. But in this, it's not like COVID is really going to impact them in a negative way and put them out of business. And AT&T has been hit pretty hard on all this. So part of me thinks this is the kind of stock I want to buy. And then part of me thinks they got a hell of a lot of debt. And I still don't know if we're not going to a financial crisis part two here. I'm, I'm not saying it's, you know, 
a probability, but I still say it's a possibility. I've said that the whole time, which is why I've been very concerned about the banks. So if credit got tighter, AT&T could have struggles that way as well. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think we're going into financial crisis part two, but I don't know we're not. And that's why all of the stocks I continue to buy are stocks, tech stocks with cash. Or, I, you know, like I said, I did buy the one utility in Canada the other day just because, uh, you know, that would have a debt problems too, but I got to own something. So I, I still like tech with cash. AT&T has a nice dividend and they have a sound business right now. I'm very torn. Part of me wants to buy AT&T. I'm very torn on it. Did you guys not notice that you lost me for a second or did we Dennis talked just, about it? Yeah. The go-go Dennis, people were cutting you off. I, I just didn't know that you were just talking. All, I, there's a chance you were talking I never the whole talking. time. Yeah, no, I know. I never. Uh, should we devote three minutes to oil here or should we save it after our guest? Do you want to get we, it out of the way? What well, we were just doing AT&T quickly. Give us your technicals oh, here. Cause I want to buy AT&T, but I don't what's the, the what's the dividend? 6.85 jolts. Almost 7%. It's like I'm buying it. Let me see how much. Are you buying AT and T? I am. Uh, point. I want to buy AT and T. Here's the trade. Yeah, I'm scared. But, but but Dennis, but the yield's going to be artificially higher because the price is lower. It's not actually. It's not as good. Yeah, as but sound. still. You what, got do, what do you mean? I don't understand what that means. Well, the dividend yield is going to go up when the price goes down. Right, when, but right. So was the price going to go down? Yeah. Well, it's, I'm saying is. Well, I, I, I'm saying it's gone down. It's like it, the dividend yield is like an, it, 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 the, the 6.85% is not artificial. It is real. That money goes into your account every quarter. The 6.85% dividend is I real. That. I understand that. He does. I know what you're saying, Spencer, but if it goes to 35, it's going to be 4%, which is right. still. Uh, sell it then. I'll make myself five bucks. <laughs> Buy yeah. low, sell high. You know, okay. this is the name of the game. <laughs> Exactly. Maybe your game, you not got, mine. <laughs> well, I don't want to buy high and sell low. You got two. What about all those activists that were like when it was at 39? Where, where are all those guys hiding under their desk? Oh, yeah. They're, <laughs> it was crazy that it got up and they just were ripping it high. And people were saying, oh, it's going to go to $55. It's never was going that? to $55. Who was that? I don't know who the activists was it, were. Was it Powell and then AT&T? It was the next big thing. Let's talk AT&T, first of all. They have some struggling businesses. So you're not just buying something that's awesome. That's one problem with buying it. The only reason I'd buy it is because I think the dividend might be safe and I like 6.85% yield. But the DirecTV part of this business sucks. Oh, that was horrible. Sucks. They paid too much for it. They've got, you know, like you said, some of the media stuff in this is not doing that well. There's competition coming for the wireless part of it, of AT&T. There still is competition that's getting more competitive all the time. I firmly believe you will not be paying $100 a month or $80 a month or $60 a month for your cell phone 10 years from now. I think they'll be, be paying 20 bucks a month. Data is coming down. Prices are coming down. That will squeeze margins as well. Right now, it's not the case. They're still raking in the cash. People are still pay, willing to pay a significant amount. I mean, my cell phone with all the stuff I have on is like 100 bucks a month. I'm obviously Canadian, so say $75 a month. Uh, what, what's your cell phone cost? Joel, what do you pay a month? Well, I got four people on mine. Oh, and, yeah, that's a big plan. Yeah. Well, I have and, two on and mine. unlimited but... data. Why am I still paying for Dana's cell phone? Eventually, yeah. you want to pay, for, like, the unlimited is going to be in just parts of the plan. So that, that, that's going that way, too. How much do you pay for your cell phone, Spencer? 
Uh, mine's on auto pay, so I'll be honest, I don't really know. <laughs> I'm sorry. They love you. They love you. <laughs> sorry. You didn't realize they jacked it to $150 two years ago. I, I, I tend to check these things like once a year. I just switched my auto insurance for that same reason. I was like, whoa, I was kidding. <laughs> You're paying more than I thought I was. Uh, but let's bring on our guest here. David sure. Trainer is the uh, founder uh, of New uh, Constructs and does some pretty good research with regards to earnings. Uh, digging deep into the filings, into the reports, and looking at what what kind of adjustments companies are making uh, in their earnings reports, uh, especially after the fact, right quarters down the line here. So, uh, David, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? Good. How how are you holding up here, David? I'm doing great. Sorry, let me get the video going here. I didn't mean to have. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> we love video. Holding up, holding up, okay in the radio star in this market. <laughs> Uh, David, I, I want to just get your thoughts. Do you have any thoughts on any, any of the uh, earnings we've discussed today? We've, we've talked about AT&T. We've talked about uh, uh, Netflix and Snapchat uh, and Delta. Any thoughts on any of those reports that we just saw overnight? Yeah, I, mean, I think you guys bring up a lot of good points. You know, I think with, with AT&T, uh, you, you know, this is a large, almost sort of, you know, borderline olig oligopolistic type of business. Uh, and, and I think we got to see through the dip on a lot of these, a lot of these stocks. And AT&T is one of those. I think picking it up with a close to 7% dividend um, is good. And when that dividend yield goes down, that's a good problem to have because it means you've seen significant capital appreciation. On Delta, I feel the same way. Um, I think some people say, you know, oh, this is going to permanently change the way we behave. I, I, I disagree. Um, for the most part, I think people are going to get back on planes, get back to living their lives. And, and I think that there's going to be a surge of people taking advantage of $90 round trip tickets from New York to Orlando, et cetera, uh, to get back to uh, enjoying life. I think that's in our future. And, and I think that, you know, I love to talk about Warren Buffett and how much he stepped in during the financial crisis. And I think part of the reason he's not stepping in now is because I think the government got smart and they saw how much money Warren Buffett made because he stepped in when they didn't during the financial crisis and they want to make that money. Um, look, they're in a position to be the, the, the lender of last resort in a lot of places. And a lot of the programs during the financial crisis were very profitable for taxpayers. And I think what we're looking at here is a dip, not a permanent decline. And if you can see through the dip, you know, you're going to be just fine. And, and, um, some of these firms have liquidity issues that mean they have to take on loans at onerous prices and onerous rates and low prices. And um, government's going to make a lot of money there. Now, Snap and, and, and Netflix, I have questions about the underlying merit of those business models and the competition they face. And I have for a long time. Uh, but they sort of like Tesla continue to defy reality. So I'm not sure how much fundamentals matter. And, and look, if they haven't mattered yet, I don't know if they ever do matter. Uh, but as a fundamental guy, I don't believe in those business models. I believe the valuations are way too high. But uh, look, I've been wrong for a long time there. So yeah. I wouldn't take my word on those guys. So, so David, your research hinges on what you call earnings distortion, right? And expectations are all over the board this quarter. Some really high, some really low. For most people, it's very low. But what are you looking for in these reports? Because these, these are going to be – such outliers going this quarter and next quarter, maybe the one after, who knows, going to be such outliers in the long-term scheme of things. So what are you looking for in reports that we're coming, that we're getting this season and next season? Uh, you know, 
Great question. We're, we're looking for the fine print details that people are missing. So like just for example, Twitter, we got a strong miss earnings distortion score on them. And that's because they had a benefit of a $1.2 billion deferred tax benefit uh, that, bust, that boosted their earnings uh, in 2019. Uh, you wouldn't find that on the income statement. You only find it in the footnotes and it's all around how they decided to move certain intangible benefits, um, I'm sorry, intangible assets into another subsidiary. So it's a completely accounting driven, hey, we're gonna move some assets from this part of the business to this part of the business, and poof, we got $1.2 billion of deferred tax benefit gain um, in our earnings. And it's things like that, that people don't know about. You can't find on the income statement that we pull out of the footnotes that we go in and say, oh, Oh, these numbers have been boosted over time by some artificial gains. So that consensus number that has embedding this, been embedding this artificial gain is in jeopardy of, of falling because they can't produce artificial gains in a perpetuity. In other words, the core earnings of the business aren't that strong. And so there's risk that they're going to miss. So do you expect then that more companies are going to uh... – uh, how do I phrase it? That, that are, there's going to be some more footnote shenanigans this quarter and next in these earnings reports just because the financials are just totally out of whack? Uh, well, let me go back to your one of your other points, and that's the quality of data. There's going to be real issues with quality of data, not just because analysts don't know what to expect, but because a lot of the companies that collect the data, they all do it in, in offshore uh, places where COVID has completely locked things down. So, They've got like call centers of people pulling data out of filings and updating models. And that's, that's been disrupted as far as we can tell. And so financial models and databases aren't going to be getting updated. There's a lot of ambiguity and, and murkiness around all the numbers. And that's going to create volatility. Now, when it comes to whether companies are going to be trying to like bury losses and gains or gains in the footnotes at this period of time, what we've seen over time, Spencer, is that when times are bad, we see a kitchen sink effect, right? When, when companies know that market sentiment is against them and they're going to get less bang for their buck, so to speak, on earnings beats, this is when they take all the charges they can. They clear the decks so that when yep. the market goes back to bull market phase, they can be beating the numbers. And we've seen this historically. We did some work for the SEC on impairments several years ago during the financial crisis. And the spike in impairment charges during the financial crisis is huge. Same is true back during the tech bubble, right? So kitchen sink effect. A good friend of mine, Mike Mayo, covers banks, brought, brought that up uh, a long time ago. When it's bad, just throw all those expenses yeah. down. Yep, we talked move. about that. Yep. We're on the line with David Trainer. He's the founder and CEO of New Constructs. Uh, David, I know you, you drill down into the earnings and I, you know, and I, I, you know, I just, I look at the overall market, right? And, for me, from my perspective, the market's telling me that exactly what you said, that we're going to be returning to normal soon, that the, you know, the, these companies like Delta and all these ones are going to be up in you know, our bargains and everything, and you just got to be patient. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, when I do leave my house and I drive around and I see, you know, no businesses open, I see high unemployment in different areas and really don't know where our GDP is going to go. I mean, 
we talk about this quarter, we talk about next quarter. Could it maybe be like Q4 of this year or Q1 of 21, really, before we see a substantial turnaround in earnings? Hold on a second. Let me check my crystal ball. And <laughs> uh, yeah, I, you know, look, uh, the timing on these things is, is tough. Uh, but I think that what we do know is the policy response, the, the government policy response here has been unprecedented in swiftness and size. And it looked, they, learned, they learned their lesson from the financial crisis. We need to get money into people's pockets fast and in large amounts. Uh, and, and I think that they've been really um, diligent in making sure that the amount of stimulus provided is commensurate with the amount of GDP lost. It's not going to fix everything. Money doesn't solve all the problems. There are going to be some serious issues here. But in terms of being able to survive it, yeah, we're going to survive it. And, and in many ways, honestly, I, I feel like the human race does, does better coming out of crises like this, especially America, especially the United States. We're resilient. Uh, you know, we tend to be, you know, more like, the, you know, when the tough happens, when, the, when it gets tough, the tough get going. And uh, there's going to be damage. There's going to be pain. There's going to be lives lost. There's going to be lives lost because of the economic damage uh, in addition to the COVID damage. There's going to be livelihoods lost. There's going to be families broken up. There's going to be bad things, certainly, that happen. Um, and I think a lot of that's priced in. Uh, so, David, looking ahead here to uh, companies who are, are going to report in the coming days and weeks, are there specific uh, industries or sectors or types of companies that you think are maybe mo most vulnerable to, to a, big, a big miss or a big beat, uh, even though, as you say, expectations are kind of uh, all, all over the place. Yeah, I think the, the, the consensus numbers are tough. I, I, I've been told by some of my clients that the, uh, the, the, the Bloomberg's and the other consensus earnings numbers are just not getting updated. And it's not necessarily an issue with the consensus collectors. It's that some analysts just, I think, haven't been updating their models because they don't know what to put in there. Uh, I think, look, on, on the downside, look, oil's going to get crushed here. I mean, <laughs> uh, negative prices... Uh, that we've seen is sort of an unprecedented kind of thing. I think you just got to be careful there. I, I, I don't know. I'm not sure what to think there. I do think we're going to see a, a rebound there. I think we might even see a spike in above normal prices in oil just because we're going to have a big depletion in supply because of this issue, and then demand picks back up, and, and supply and production will pick up as quickly. Uh, but in the meantime, that's a scary place to be. Um, however, if you're looking at some of the refiners and, and the firms that are dealing with the end customer are as much related to exploration production. You could see some surprises there because they're not as price dependent. Um, in terms of beats, you know, I think you want to, you want to go through the firm, go to the firms that are benefiting during the crisis, uh, the firms that are into online delivery. Uh, and I think even some of these restaurants might be do, do better than, than you think, you know, I mean, for example, the Olive Garden and, Texas Roadhouse, Darden restaurants. I mean, we've seen their online deliveries pick up huge. Uh, and it's not going to be enough to compensate for what they lose in the restaurants, but their revenues aren't going to zero. And I think a lot of investors are pricing some of these stocks as if revenues and, or rents are going to go to zero. And so that's, that's where the opportunity is. Yeah, one thing to point out in restaurants, you know, the ones that are still staying open, you know, they're probably reducing their overhead. 
by quite a bit, right? As far as the staff, I mean, I'm sure they'd rather have uh, fully, fully staffed um, uh, restaurants and everyone going in and out, but they are cutting costs. So uh, Spencer's taking like my last three questions and then I'm your sorry. answers are, are been my other question. The only, I guess the thing to wrap up here is uh, what about the banks? I mean, there you know the loss provisions for J.P. Morgan. They didn't bounce that much. Uh, how are you interpreting banks' bank earnings so far and moving forward? You know, I, I think you know. I, I looked at the excess provision there for for um, J.P. Morgan, and I thought it's an embarrassment of riches. They've got plenty of capital to set aside okay. for a rainy day. And and look, there's no way that these systemically important banks are going to have a problem. Going, if they have a, if they have an issue, the Fed will be there to save them. Uh, these these are basically uh, almost like utilities with a lot more upside and growth, and uh, because they can they don't have regulated pricing uh, because of how much support they have from the Fed. And so I, I think the banks are they look really strong here, and I'd I'd look to pick up these stocks um, near their you know all around this time. I, I, yeah, banks are. They're going to come out of this fine. There's not going to be any banks going down. They're doing huge business with the SBA. I mean, this is an opportunity on banks for sure. And then just real quick, David, before we let you go, uh, you sent over a list here of names. You are expecting Whirlpool, Eli Lilly, Illumina, and Old Republic uh, all report tomorrow, and you expect them all to strongly miss the estimates. Can you explain just one or a couple of those and why? Yeah, like I was like I was saying with with Twitter, um, and 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 same is true for for all the companies. What we're looking at is we're we're pulling out data in the footnotes where we've seen unusual gains that have been baked into the earnings. So the accounting results, the consensus results, are incorporating unusual gains <clears throat> in their numbers that we don't believe are sustainable, and so the likelihood of a miss for those four companies. There are 10 companies on the list I gave you. Twitter is one of them, Pfizer is one of them, Whirlpool is another one. And when I'm digging into the footnotes, I'm pulling up the model right now, right? And I go in and I say, okay, what's, what, what are we looking at here with Whirlpool? And I'm seeing a bunch of stuff. There's um, a sale leaseback transaction for 106 million. There's a $95 million gain on a, on a sale, a $16 million gain a Brazil indirect tax credit of 180 million bucks. Um, another non-recurring gain of 110 million uh, that was related to another sale leaseback transaction. Um, and then let's see, on a sale of properties, bunch of, on the sale of properties, you've got 111 million, 95 and 16 million. So, you know, with Whirlpool, you've, you've got not just one big item. There's a bunch of little stuff. A lot of the work we do gets missed by other analysts and other data collection firms because in many cases, the individual charges or gains are immaterial. But when you add them all up, it becomes material. Uh, you know, they, there's a, a, a legal entity merger tax impact that, um, is actually an unusual um, income as well that they figured out a way. So, you know, Whirlpool is an example of, you know, this was back in 2019, it's baked into the numbers. You know, when times were good, these guys were figuring out ways to get the numbers boosted to ride the bull market wave. Um, and I think we'll see the opposite coming into this sort of downward economic time and downward uh, earnings revision time. 
All right, David Trainer is the founder and CEO of New Constructs, uh, helping us out here by looking deep inside uh, earnings reports and filings and giving us some good thoughts on, uh, on who is likely to miss uh, the estimates such that they are this season. David, thank you so much for the time and be safe out there. You too. Great to be with you guys. Thanks for having me. Right. Thanks, David. Great input. Uh, we're we're off to, we're off to the races here. We're up forty three handles at twenty seven seventy five. Uh, coming up to uh, the intraday high from yesterday at uh, seventy seven fifty. Current high is seventy seven even. And what I mean by intraday high is that uh, the what takes place between uh, nine thirty a.m. Eastern Standard Time and 4.15 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. There's a lot of people that, uh, you know, just base their trading on that and ignore the overnight action. And uh, I think that uh, sometimes they may be better off. Um, I don't know who was listening to the PMP show when we were talking about AT&T, uh, but that stock just exploded. It's gone from uh, 30 and a quarter up to nearly 31. So up a buck eight or people that are getting those uh, those dividends are looking at it. That's for sure. Uh, Easy Mike says, we haven't talked about Facebook in a while. When do they report, Spencer? Good question. Let's look it up in the pro. It should be coming up, I would guess, the next week. But let's confirm that with a look up in the pro. I see Facebook on the calendar for the 29th after the bell. Dennis, you want to comment on that one since you own it? Uh, I sold it. <laughs> so I sold it two days ago. And the reason really? I sold this um, was, first, I didn't like that it looked like it was failing around 180. I sold around, I think I sold it right in here, like 178, because it's up seven bucks today because of the snap report. But I sold it two days ago, right before the yesterday's fall. Reason, the reason that I sold it was I'm worried about advertising. I'm really worried that, there's a lot of companies spending a lot less advertising now. I mean, I still like the Facebook medium and Twitter um, and I still own a little bit of Twitter, but I'm, I'm concerned that advertising revenue is going to drop substantially. It just makes sense. The logic says that advertisers are going to get hit, that there's going to be less people interested in advertising when their businesses aren't open. So there's a lot of stuff still not open. And that's why I sold my Facebook. The 180 is huge. On oh my gosh. Technical. Do perspective yeah. so it was like the ducks were in a row i was like I'm, I'm it looks like it's failing to me at 180 and i don't like the idea of the advertising revenue dropping substantially here it's still i like facebook i think i'm gonna get it cheaper so it's more of a i will rebuy this but once we have some clarity on when we're coming out of this but just to think that advertising revenue isn't going to drop for all these companies or isn't going to drop. So maybe it's going to drop somewhat, but it isn't going to drop substantially. I think is absurd. I think it's going to drop substantially because there's going to be a lot of businesses that are going to advertise less when their businesses aren't open and or other businesses trying to survive. Or they'll be uh, negotiating cheaper deals, you know, right. Better deals. Um, but I mean, you nailed it, Dennis. Uh, Cause I just looked at the 50% uh, retracement that comes in 180.60, your two day high, 180.50, your three day high, 180.28. So if you're looking, if you're looking for file through here, you know, getting above 180, closing above 180, then uh, maybe you get a look, but uh, barely, barely, barely got up to its 50% and holding in there. So really like that 180.50 high of the move level. And if you're not a higher low of the day kind of person like me, 
179.24 has been the high closing of the move. We backed nine bucks off that. I mean, we're getting right back up there now. So you want to, you know, take a good look here at, uh, at this 180 level if it comes into play in today's sessions. Can we talk USL for just a second here? Uh, I learned something new, and Dennis, I'm not sure if you knew this, but uh, yesterday they announced that uh, they were halting creation units for the fund. I didn't know that an ETF could have a maximum number of share, a maximum available share limit. I didn't know that was a thing. So they halted creation units yesterday. That led to USO closing at a 36% premium uh, compared to the NAV. And then this morning they announced a one for eight reverse split, which you had to figure was, was coming at some point. Uh, so a one for eight reverse split yeah. and they have filed with the SEC to create more shares or to increase their available share limit. But the, the fund has become so popular in the past couple of days that they literally hit oh. their available share max. And so now they're, the fund is at a massive premium to the NAV. So you think about the people who bought two days ago at four yeah. bucks or three eighty or three ninety. I mean, Nick was smart. He just did it with the option. So he's not getting burned too bad. Um, you know, and it's a binary bet for him win or lose. But people are just flat out saying, oh, oil's got to come back. I'm going to go buy the USO. Got absolutely murdered yesterday. I mean, to the tune of losing at one point in time over 40% of their investment in one day. I cannot see any reason to own this ETF. And the reason is because I think the super contango is going to be here for a while. Oil demand is low. And this, this keeps getting burned significantly because they got to roll those contracts. So even if they start rolling out two months, they're still getting burned. I mean, to watch the June collapse like it did yesterday is one thing for the May, you know, and to go negative because nobody's taking physical delivery. But you could have taken physical delivery. And how low did we get yesterday on the June WTI? $6.50. This is a direct hit. So this is how you directly get hit with that front month contract. You look at the XLE, you look at the XOP yesterday, they were hardly down. Some of the XOP was up. Such a better way to play and get oil exposure than going into the USO. Um, and did you also notice uh, OILX? So for you traders who trade that, UBS's uh, oil tracking stock as well, announced that they're going to call it all in and they're going to redeem it all last night. So um, OILX is going to cease trading. I believe they said May 1st. Um, I'd have to go find the press release um, again just to find the exact uh, for date. Them. But yeah, so they're calling it in because they probably don't know how to handle the same situations here. Um, yeah, so it announced it last night, 736. It's going to redeem the whole thing um, May the 1st. So UBS Investment Bank today announced this from the press release that it will redeem all the outstanding securities of OI, OILX on May the 1st. So OILX is going off the board because they don't know probably how to handle the same issues. I i don't follow the OILX, so I don't know exactly how it's structured. I'm, I'm guessing because of the chart yesterday that it's structured similarly um, to the USO, but even reverse splitting and doing all this stuff doesn't really help the problem. The problem is this oil front month contract being worth so much less than the next month and having to roll it all the time. So there are so many better ways. I mean, even today, you got oil stocks ripping higher here this morning and you got USO, it's up 1.7%. So not even hardly participating at all again, 
Like, I mean, ExxonMobil's up 3.8%. Chevron's up 3.56%. The XLE's up 3.68%. Halliburton's up 3.89%. Most of your oil stocks are up 3.4% today. USO can't even participate today. Hardly. It's up 2.49, but still up seven cents after losing a buck 20 yesterday. Doesn't feel good. So if you, you know, see this continue where people don't want to take the physical storage and there's no place to put it, this is a direct problem for the USO. Way better places to get oil exposure. You know what? We've said when, that for years. When, when is the reverse split supposed to be? Oh, uh, they announced it today. Crap. I don't, I don't, I didn't write down the date. Um, I'm sorry. I didn't write down the date. I don't know. Uh, when the okay, because I I'm just going getting, to affect. I'm going to buy like a zillion puts on it wherever it's at. That's not a recommendation. That's just. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joel. You're, uh, anyways, just looking at at this situation here, I want no part of this. I want no part of the USO. And do you think reverse splits help you? Check out the chart of CHK. CHK reverse split there four or five days ago. Oh, it's, it's after the, I got the date. It's after the close on the 28th. Reverse splits don't help. They hurt. So this is, you know, not going to solve the problem. The problem, again, is super contango. And I don't know how the hell they get out of it. I, until, you know, the market starts to stabilize. And maybe there's going to be a lot of tankers. Maybe there's going to be refiners, Tommy Lackey in the, in the chart. Maybe the, maybe. Maybe the refiners start taking in, in, you know, and more and storing more, obviously, because they can benefit from these low oil prices. So maybe there's going to be some scrambling do around. But the short term problem is there's no storage. And there's actually producers looking like that they might have to pay to have them take the oil away, which is a crazy thought process. It does, um, though. I mean, it's it, it. I'll just tell you here. If you the, the contango that you're talking about here. Yeah. If you look at like the the. the uh, the September contract, you know, well, I mean, it's still contango, but someone thinks that right now the crew is going to be 24 bucks in September. I sure. mean, Why is August, it? August. Yeah. And then the September, but, uh, someone thinks. But here's the flawed thinking, Joel. People think that because <laughs> oil, I think oil is going to be $24 in September, but you want to know something buy USO today. Thinking, oh well, oil seven. Where's where is, where is the June? Where's the June right now? Uh, the June crude is at thirteen thirty six, up sixteen percent. Up sixteen percent. USO is up two percent. Not tracking very well because there's still a serious contango issue for the USO. June crude up sixteen percent. Their underlying holdings are in the June crude. Yet this vehicle is only up two percent. That's well, partially, they, they had to go out further. They own July and August. As In well. any regard, here their their underlying holdings, and like you said, the underlying holdings are even way less because of the DNAV. You just looked at it. But if people think that if oil goes back to twenty four dollars and it's currently at what did you say sixteen? No, twelve. Fourteen. Losing, four, it wasn't. It wasn't fourteen, and now so it's fourteen bucks. People think that it goes twenty four. I'm going to buy USO and make seventy percent on my money. It's not the way. It's not the case. That's not how it works. The USO has got to roll all this. The storage costs are too high. There's an all likelihood that if oil is $24 in September, that USO could be lower than it is now. That's the tracking error that we keep talking about, that we've talked about in the USO for years. If you think oil is going up, buy oil stocks. I don't think oil is going up. That's why I don't own any oil stocks. I don't think it's going up long term. I, I don't know if it's going to 20. Maybe it could be 24, sure. But, you know, but the, the current contract or whatever. But is that really bailing out 
Uh, anyways, I've talked about oil so much. All right, I just want to say one more here. thing, Dennis. My I point of the story you. is don't own the USO. Own something else. I got to correct you. Oil. The USO does track very well on the downside. <laughs> it tracks overly well on the downside. <laughs> it's right, a serious can, can, issue. OILX. And, 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 and does anybody follow the OILX? I don't know how. We've got to read the prospectus on that. But they're closing shop. And I probably think it's, it's similar structured. I don't know because I don't trade the OILX. I just watched it go. But I get some serious volume. Does anybody know if that's structured the same way in the chat where they do the rolls front month going into the next month? Anyways, they're saying we can't beat this and we're just closing shop. So UBS is saying. I don't know if USO is going to have to do the same thing. I'm, I'm not sure. But as of right now, they got serious problems with the super contango. And until we get open with the economy, I don't think it gets fixed immediately. All right, that'll be a good place to wrap up our show today. If you missed any part of it, catch the replay on YouTube or the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, or Google Play. Uh, please remember all the information from our show is meant to be used as informational purposes and not for investing or trading advice. On tomorrow's show, we'll be joined by Joey Agri. He is the CEO of Agri Realty, a REIT here in Michigan. We'll talk about the commercial real estate market with Joey on tomorrow's show. Joel and I will be back with you at 3.40 today. In the meantime, thanks to everyone who joins us. Thanks to everyone who uh, participates in our chats. We love it. Everyone be safe wherever you are and have a good rest of your day.